Generic salutations, bad things universe. I'm Jacob Simmons, one half of your bad things team. Now, for those of you who have already listened to our lesbian vampire killers episode, if you haven't, check it out. We're on Acast and Apple Podcasts as bad things. Then you'll know that the director of the movie, Phil Clayton, very kindly agreed to speak to us about his film. I spoke to Phil about the origins of the movie, what it was like to work with James Corden, and, of course, those bad reviews. He was such a great guy and so much fun to speak to. So please enjoy this extended conversation with Phil Clayden, the director of Lesbian Vampire Killers. Phil, thank you so much for joining me today uh, for this interview about Lesbian Vampire Killers. But firstly, uh, before we get to the film... I've got to bring up the fact that you are from somewhere very close to my heart in the world. Uh, is it true that you you were born in Bury St Edmunds in Suffolk? That's where I was born, yeah, for Bog Hill Road. Oh, wow, yeah, OK. Which, which hospital were you born in? I was born at home. I was at home. Oh, right, oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. So, so my, my older brother was downstairs, apparently. He was three years of age, and uh, mum was upstairs delivering the world. This dude... <laughs> <laughs> Oh wow, yeah. Well, I'm from Haverhill, so I'm, I'm literally just down the road from you. Um, any experience of uh, of my hometown? I've got no experience of uh, Haverhill, but I've got a lot of fond memories of. Uh, yeah, I've got yeah, I've got fond memories of growing up. Uh, definitely in that area. I saw a UFO when I was four. It was around 1980. You know that whole Rendlesham thing. That was. Uh, I was driving home from my nan's place, and uh, I saw a flash in the sky, which kind of like, oh, like hovered there and then disappeared. And no one else in the car saw it. Or well, they just caught it when I said, "Look at that." From the back of the car, and then the following day, my dad comes back from work. He has all these newspapers of like all these articles of people's cars had stopped and they'd heard humming, and uh, yeah, so. Oh, okay. So is this where the uh, is this where the obsession with the supernatural began then? Yeah, I, I think super super supernatural was was there. VHS basically gave me a, a horror education and seeing Empire, and seeing Empire Strikes Back, age four, really not knowing what the hell was going on, but loving loving being in the cinema. And I was like, okay, I think, uh, how, do, how do I do that? Because if I can't live off, or uh, <laughs> I might as well uh, make stories that allow me to do something like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next best thing, I suppose. So um, how was it you came to be involved in Lesbian Vampire Killers? What, what's the story there? Yeah, it goes, goes way, way back. came about because uh, I finished making my first feature film alone and I was in Wales where I was in film school and we were I was working with someone called Eliane Huss who was a producer down there and we were, we were coming out of a thing called pulp movies which would have been like real low budget like £50,000 sort of uh, cheaply made horror movies and uh, through my editor friend on alone um, he had a mutual friend called Rob Lewis at MTV and uh Rob Lewis and his friends, they were uh, uh, come, uh, coming up with an idea for a film called Lesbian Vampire Killers. So it was like, okay, that sounds perfect for pulp movies. So uh, six weeks later, they drop a script, which was really funny, uh, a sort of great homage to the Karnstein trilogy of the Hammer films and uh, maybe Twins of Evil. And it was just, uh, it was really well written and uh, really funny and felt really commercial. So at that point, it was like 50,000 movie that we were trying to get me made and then we were working with a company called av pictures who had done dog, done dog soldiers with neil marshall and they they really loved it and they wanted to do it kind of they thought well it could be done for like more expensive more like a million so they they really got excited about it 
but this was like a sort of three four year process of kind of like you know meetings and, and things not really happening and uh the original writer paul hutfield he was set up to direct the version that was fifty thousand, and then when they shifted av pictures shifted the budget up and because i made a movie they wanted me to to direct it which mean paul had to go out to climbing for the reins which was uh, very upsetting for him it was like yeah, i remember him saying it's a bit like somebody screwing your wife and you having to watch and <laughs> i felt really really bad but he actually graciously graciously handed the reins over and kind of like took on a kind of like directing job from there but it's kind of like it's a love affair isn't there isn't it with, any, with anything that you want to get made it's like if you don't have the passion and the belief in and you can do it you're never going to find the money to get it made so from that we were then on a kind of process of trying to get this thing up and running. And eventually we did kind of get it up and running. Um, we, we had a little bit of money. Um, so we started an audition process. And in that audition process, we obviously met James Corden. And he was a, he was a slam dunk fledge. So it was, it was like, here we go, here we go. And then all of a sudden it was like, but the people who said they had the money obviously didn't have the money. And the whole thing fell through. And that was, ex- I know, the whole thing fell through. So you're kind of like, you, you know, you, as a filmmaker, you're not earning any money. In pre-production, you're not earning any money. And you're kind of like, okay, now the film has no money. Everything's shut down. I get a kind of day job to pay the bills and the rent. And uh, what the hell is going to happen next? So funnily enough, yeah, I, then it all kind of like went, went dead for a few days. But I got, within the process... Uh, a few months before, I met with Hammer Films, who were starting to gear up and get going again. A guy called Simon Oaks there, and uh, phone call out of blue um, from Hammer saying that we want to come in and get lesbian vampire killers going, um, but we just want you attached. We don't want any of the people, producers, and everything that's been there before. I was like, okay, so I had to make some difficult phone calls. Um, and then, then we went. We went into some program with, with Hammer, where they were kind of like trying to thrash out a deal. But in the meantime, AV Pictures. Remember those guys, the Dog Soldiers guys at the start. They were, um, they, they were like, "Well, we want to make the film." And I said, "Well, find the money, and then, uh, then Hammer won't make it, and you can make it. It's a, it's a simple equation. I'm just trying to get it done." So they went off to this meeting. Um, at Momentum Pictures, and that, and so I've I've now got like a sort of day job where I'm kind of like uh, working at some events company, booking farmers on to sort of uh, rapeseed oil uh, conventions and, and lectures and various <laughs> whatnot, which I didn't, didn't okay, understand. so quite far far away from show business then. Yeah, it was definitely definitely there was no show business involved. <laughs> it was just uh, doing this kind of like mandatory office work in the morning and at lunch. Kind of made long conversations or doing long emails on the uh, work shilling, and then so in the, it was actually in the lunch break, uh, a long lunch break that I took that I went to Momentum Pictures and sat down with uh, the guys from AV Pictures, and basically pitched lesbian vampire killers. By this time, I obviously draw many storyboards and had many concept designs for it, and uh, I kind of acted out the whole film and explained how to do a do a and the whole intention and the visuals behind the film and the fact that. Um, We've obviously got James Corden on board, and this was pre-Gavin and Stacey, so he hadn't really blown up at that point. Oh, really? And oh, this, it, this was pre-Gavin uh, yeah, and Stacey? Oh, yeah, pre-Gavin and Stacey. So 
at this point, at the end of this meeting, which lasted about an hour, Xavier, who was running Momentum Pictures, said to Vic Bateman and Gavin Braxton at AV Pictures, he was like, okay, okay, yeah, we'll come in for um, we'll for half. Obviously, meaning we'll come in, you know, we'll do we'll co-finance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, for me, like, being as the film before and through, I didn't, you know, you take everything with a pinch of salt in the film business. It's like people say a lot of things at the end of meetings. So I walked out and uh, Vic Bateman and Gavin Braxton, they felt very uh, excited by it. They were like, oh, yeah, it's that a movie. They're going to come in with half. We're going to go and find the other half. We've got connections. I'm like, okay, you do that and uh, we'll see what happens. So obviously, <laughs> obviously it, it, it got kind of serious. They went off and found the other half and, uh, it was like an October two, uh, 2007 meeting, and, and yeah, by kind of uh, May the following year, we were we were in pre-production. And this was uh, when the the thing about the film going down was there was someone else cast as Jimmy at that point, and Gavin and Stacey hadn't come out. So James Corden got Ruth Jones to drop me off some DVDs at HTV in Wales. He said, uh, have a watch of this and see what you think of Matt Horn, because he, I think it'd be a great Jimmy. So obviously I sat down, watched Gavin and Stacey on the, uh, the kind of like the DVDs that they have before it was broadcast. And, uh, was like, yeah, it's great. Does he want to do it? And, uh, I spoke to Matt and Matt was up for it. So at that point we had James and Matt. So we had our Fletch and Jimmy, Free, um, free Gavin and Stacey, and obviously Gavin and Stacey was released, and that blew up, which was exciting for momentum pictures. But it didn't, in the film terms, it didn't really get kind of give them leverage to, you know, fully like because their names meant nothing at that time internationally. So, so, so yeah. So that's how that's how uh, Jack, uh, yeah, through the through the process, um, uh, James was like. Like very supportive of the film. We we chatted kind of like every other month when something else would come up, like oh, Sony Pictures are interested in this, want to do this, and they want to do want to do this, and you know. So he was uh, very much would take the calls and listen and chat about stuff, and yeah. So it was a kind of, a kind of exciting process, though a, a very long process to get it to screen. Right. Okay. So a long process, but one that eventually paid off, and you got to work with somebody who would go on to become a massive star in James Corden. Uh, what does that feel like knowing that, you know, you work with somebody who is now on that level, on that massive international level? Yeah, it feels all right. It's just, uh, it's just what you do. You don't really, it doesn't really kind of, you see him doing his thing and you just remember the, you know, the fun we had making that film, which was, it was a, it was a fun 32 days work. Cause obviously there's a lot to do in 32 days. And he was always going to be a massive star. You could feel it. There's just something about him and who he was and how he holds himself that, that you know, he was going to go on and do great things. Yeah, and you've got, I mean, you had really kind of interesting things because Paul Hupfield, they loved With Nell and I, so they were kind of like, you know, channeling With Nell and I when they were kind of writing it. And uh, so it was great to get Paul McGann in to play the vicar. Which was, you know, not only is he a Doctor Who, he's obviously, obviously, obviously in with Nell and I, he's, um, he was fantastic and manic. And obviously you've got um, Mayanna Burring, who's doing really well in TV and everything now. Obviously, you know, back, back then she'd done The Descent and done a few things, but, you know, she was an excellent Lottie. She was kind of like in that sort of Buffy vampire slayer kick-ass mode. 
so yeah, it was a, a very cool class. Everyone was like 100% committed, and yeah, it was really kind of uh, fun. It's good to see everybody has gone on to do to do great things. Now, I've danced around the issue of um, <laughs> the fact that the film didn't get very good reviews. You are being very polite. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm a diplomat, Phil, at heart. Um, what did what did that feel like um, when you were reading these reviews of the film, and they didn't come out maybe as as well as you'd hoped? What, what what was that like? Do you know what? It didn't affect me. I'll tell you why. Because uh, no, when you actually when you make something, if I've made it and I wasn't happy, like I hadn't executed it in the way I wanted to, or it didn't turn out the way I wanted, I wanted. It's like you can you can. Put your, put your head in your hands and go, yeah, fucking, it didn't work, it didn't work out. But I kind of loved the movie and I think it turned out, it is what it was supposed to be and it and it works on all the levels it was supposed to work at. It is kind of like bubblegum. And a lot a lot of the reviews that were hitting, they they just felt like it was an attack. And, and it, you know, it started, I was like, I was like we've made a movie, movie, James Corden and Matt Horn, who's, who said Stella and the axe was coming back. And after they'd done the Brits and show, which she pulled forward to get in front of lesbian vampire killers. It was like, she's done a film <laughs> with these guys that the media want to rip apart. You, you're literally walking into the mouth of a great white shark. And that's kind of, that's kind of uh, how it was. A lot of the reviews were kind of like nasty and attack on James, which was kind of unfair. Um, but it, it, they didn't kind of like, I think if you make something that you're proud of and you can stand by, you know, bad review, you know, everyone would like a movie to come out and be like, oh, critically embraced and beautiful and make loads of money and all that kind of stuff. But if you can walk away and you as the filmmaker can hold your head up high, it's like those things won't affect you too much. A, f- a film over time. No, it's not affected. It's not affected James. I mean, it affects him in a way, way, that, way that he sees that as a bad time. You know what I mean? In his in his world, so like he often kind of obviously craps on the film from a great height to get a cheap laugh. But I ultimately think, I ultimately think deep down, be hurtful to the people that kind of like put a lot of time and effort into the film, and he probably wouldn't do it. But he likes to distance himself from those things. And distance himself from that period of time, which was a pretty horrific period professionally for those two guys. But yeah, on a, on a, on the whole, on the whole, the reviews really kind of like I knew something because what happens is when you made a movie and someone like Momentum pitches you the distributor, they finance it, and they get a kind of like hit sheet of kind of what everyone's going to say and say and what their star ratings and stuff are. And so you see the sheet, and I was like, okay, it's not like. It's not the best sheet in the world, but it, when they came out, it's just, there was kind of like another another level of it of attack, which attack was personal, more personal towards uh, the guys than the movie. I mean, the, the figure, the figure, ten years ago, is kind of like mentioned, it's talked about. There's a lot of people that love the film, um, um, and that's you take. You know, you travel to this film and you watch it play at festivals. They pretty much love it. Are you still mostly recognised for this film then? Yeah, I am. It's the biggest thing I've done, and it's you know it's the one thing that always comes up. It's just a it's a it's a title which will always grab because it create creates intrigue. It's 
It's a title that would never be made now in this day and age. And uh, there's something intriguing, even if people see it from the point of view of like, this was a film that was correctly annihilated back in 2009 where I had to watch it to curiosity to see what it is. Or whether they just watch it, you know, because they love it and want to hang out with it. So, so yeah, I've, I've uh, done quite a few talks and interviews about it over the years and uh, will never tire of talking about it. Well, thank you so much for talking to me about it today, Phil. Uh, it's been really great to get your insight and um, your views on it, even after you know nearly 11 years of this film coming out. So what's new for you at the moment? What are you working on right now? I've got another comedy sci-fi movie called Lust, which I've been working with uh, XYZ Films on, which is basically about a teenage guy that has a, a one-night stand. And, and uh, the following day... That every female in town seems to be attracted to him, and then later on he finds out that that the girl he had the one night stand with may not be from this planet, and he's contracted an STD with benefits. But <laughs> benefits, the, the benefits are it could be an alien invasion that he causes, and it could be the end of the world. So he's uh, it's kind of a flip of um, it's kind of a, you know like every sort of uh, team movie, especially with a guy protagonist, was always about. Oh, how are they going to get laid, or how are they going to get the girl? And, and and that was kind of like their basis, which is kind of like old hat. And it was like, okay, how do you flip the script on that? We got to do the movie about the guy that's got to actively avoid getting getting laid and actively avoid having sex, otherwise the end of the world will happen. So that's kind of like what the movie is about. And how do you do that when everyone is jumping at you? So yeah, that's it. That's the more light-hearted one. And then uh, finished up on uh, writing the script called Toxic, which is a story about. What happened? It's kind of like a, a sort of zombie Me Too era kind of movie, and uh, it's, it's about our main female protagonist who's, who's just kind of like got out of a, an abusive relationship and trying to get herself back on her feet. And then something happens where all, all the men turn violent. So it's basically about the uprising of women banding together to fight against a kind of common enemy. So it's uh, kind of like a new riff on the on the zombie genre because zombie genres are obviously always have a cultural significance so it's like what what would happen if because you know because when the me too era happened it kind of like felt bad to suddenly be a man she kind of felt ashamed with everything that was going on and every story that was coming out and it was kind of you know as a as a father as a father raising boys it was like you know what you know what, what kind of world are we, are we bringing them up into being how how are they going to be and, and what would happen if that the ex, the extreme happened what if this these kind of like like the male as a species became it's kind of like sort of a violent neanderthal type uh, human being and what would what would happen to the world in the kind of like how the female female species rise up rise up and how they fight against this kind of like common enemy and try and figure it out so it's kind of like uh, unpacking that idea in uh, yeah very very different departure. So yeah, we've got um got yeah comedy sci-fi and literally a sort of a survival thriller zombie movie. Well, we wish you the best of luck with both of those projects, Phil. And yeah, I mean. 
best of luck to you going forward. I know a lot of people in the film industry are struggling right now with everything that's happening in the world, uh, but it sounds like you're really doing really well. And thank you so much for agreeing to talk about this and giving us your insight into the world of lesbian vampire killers. It's been so good to talk to you. And yeah, again, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thank you so much. Cheers, Jacob. Been a pleasure. A huge thank you once again to Phil Claydon for taking the time to speak to me. I honestly cannot thank him enough for giving up his time to have a chat with us about the film. So make sure you check him out on Twitter. He's at PhilClayden76. And keep listening to Bad Things for more content like this coming your way very soon. Farewell. Farewell.